Welcome to WeChat Divorce, brought to you by My Divorce Solution and hosted by Karen Chalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help your family achieve your best life post-divorce. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I are so happy today to welcome attorney Elise Bowie to our podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Karen. I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you all. Likewise. In this episode, we're going to discuss how stay-at-home moms can prepare for divorce. A great topic, especially at this time of the year. But first, let me just take a couple minutes to introduce attorney Bowie. Elise is a passionate, creative, problem-solving Washington State family law attorney who creates solutions, not obstacles. After evacuating her hometown of New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina and surviving a divorce, Elise landed in Seattle and founded her law firm. Her practice involves all aspects of family law, guided by a collaborative philosophy and her deep understanding of complex parenting issues. Elise opened her firm during a period of personal adversity. Now, in a period of global adversity, Elise's firm has experienced its most significant growth yet, which she attributes primarily to her divorcing force and mantra, I can do it. That's pretty yes, awesome. Yes, you can. Yes. Yeah. Fabulous. It's been an interesting ride, that's for sure. <laughs> so on that note, and before we dive into our topic, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your story and journey that created the passion for the work that you do? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I actually, you know, started practicing law years and years ago, like in 1995 and worked for a while and then quit and stayed home and became a stay-at-home mom myself. And so I was a stay-at-home mom for 10 years raising four children and at the time homeschooling them and Hurricane Katrina was part of that mix as well. And so, you know, I really look at Hurricane Katrina as such a blessing in disguise in many ways, because, you know, obviously we we weren't prepared for that type of storm and upheaval, but I was lucky because I was at home with my children. I was homeschooling them. So when we evacuated from New Orleans, we ended up going to Georgia. And then after a year, we moved to Minnesota. My children didn't miss a beat as far as school goes and just things, you know, we were able to just keep things going. But the interesting part is that my husband and I realized we needed a divorce before Hurricane Katrina hit, right before it hit. So though when the hurricane hit, we had to make a decision to put our kids' needs ahead of our own. And we decided to, you know, stay together and reconfigure. We had no idea what this hurricane was going to look like. We both are attorneys. We both had to get rebarred. I mean, it was a pretty big process. And so we stayed together for five years, you know, focused on how do we restabilize our family, make sure everyone's going to be okay before we did split. That was really a huge thing, I think, as far as, you know, my own journey going back into the law, because, you know, as a stay-at-home mom for years, I knew I needed to get back into the workforce and I knew I needed to be able to support my family. And so my focus since I did get the divorce in 2010 has been, you know, getting back into the workforce and now building a law firm so that I could support my children. Because I, I mean, I ended up with a lot of the financial 
part of the support for my family landed on me. And so I have a real understanding, I think, of what stay-at-home moms have to go through and, you know, to get back into the workforce and how to deal with the divorce as a stay-at-home mom. I mean, it is definitely... I mean, it's pretty terrifying at times. So you probably really can relate now because, you know, you had the, the hurricane, right? And now people have the pandemic. Exactly. And so we're coming a couple of years out of it. And, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, we're all very busy. But people who stayed together to get through the pandemic together to see that everybody's going to be all right are now deciding, okay, when we're all settled here, it's time for us to make our move to a happier life, hopefully. It was really interesting to me to have the pandemic occur because when I opened my law firm, I opened it as a virtual firm because I wanted to make sure I had time with my family and my kids. And I just didn't see myself sitting in an office all day being able to kind of juggle both successfully. So when I opened my firm in 2015, virtually, I mean, my main focus was bringing women back into the workforce who wanted to be great lawyers as well as great parents. And so the pandemic became this really interesting time where my virtual firm became kind of a unicorn. You know, we had been doing it for five years. And all of a sudden, I was thrust in a situation where people who had not been operating virtually needed help and guidance in how to operate a firm virtually. And so that has been um, something that I've done a lot since the beginning of the pandemic is helping other firms. Like, how do you manage employees virtually? You know, how do you set up your office? How do you deal with client, you know, centered things? So it's been kind of an interesting thing during the pandemic to see this all play out. Wonderful. And so that in and of itself helps us understand why you have such a deep understanding and passion for families and moms who are just trying to make it happen every day. So Elise, I found a quote on your website that I love. It goes something like this. I've been in your shoes and I know that divorce can be scary shit. It's okay not to be okay. Divorce is an ending and a beginning, the beginning of a new chapter filled with second chances to live your best life. I love that. Is that your quote? It, it sure is. I love it. It. So true. I mean, I look at divorce as such a positive transformation in so many scenarios. I'm not at all saying though, that it is not hard and scary as the Dickens while you're going through it. But with the right mindset and the right support around you, I mean, divorce can be the beginning of your absolute next best life. And to me, that's kind of, it's amazing to see, you know, women in particular really turn that corner and then thrive on the other side of divorce. I love that. Like, that's my favorite part of my work. I love yeah. that too. That's awesome. We love that too, because a lot of times women are, you know, tagged as not having financial knowledge and not being financially smart and not knowing what to do with their finances. And the truth of the matter is most of those women just never were given that opportunity. You know, their opportunity was to raise the family and make everyone's life a little bit easier. So when we see them come through our process before hopefully they even get to you, they go to you with this financial knowledge, but they go there feeling so strong. And when we hear them say that they feel so strong because they have this knowledge now, it just sometimes brings tears to our eyes because it's so empowering. And if we do that as a collective whole, just think how great this world will be 
if we can all feel like that about making decisions. Absolutely. And I think so many women get in that. I mean, I call her Eloise, the mean girl in my voice. I mean, in my head, <laughs> who says things like, you know, you're not good at finances or you're not good at math or, you know, you can't negotiate. A lot of these messages that women, I think, hear and kind of internalize, and they're just simply not true. I mean, women are kind of kick ass when it comes to investing and doing positive things with their wealth. And I think, I mean, I had a situation the other day that I literally just could have like jumped out of my skin. We were doing these videos and I had a client doing a client testimonial and she just said to me, so it's probably been a few years since her divorce. She was like, Elise, guess what? I'm like, what? She's like, I'm a millionaire now. And I was just like, you go, girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, and it I love that. amazing. And seeing her transformation, I mean, literally, she's unrecognizable today from what she was, you know, when I first met her at the beginning of her divorce. And I see that a lot. And so I know what's possible. And I think getting your financial house in order is one of the hugest things that women can do. We are big into trying to help people use financial neutrals so that they can get that information and make empowered decisions, not decisions out of fear. Mm -hmm. So important. So on that note, specifically about getting your house in order, what is the most frequent divorce advice for women that you give? That's an interesting question. One, get your financial house in order. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, getting your financial house in order is huge. I have to say, though, that I don't like to start out scaring people about their financial house because I do think that can be daunting very initially. One of the things that I focus on very initially is ensuring that they are making decisions that their children's best interests are in the forefront of what they're doing. And so that includes finances, but it also includes other things, but really helping people get the support they need so that when they're making decisions, their children's interests are at the forefront and they're not making decisions out of anger or vengefulness or whatever, because those decisions never are the right decisions. Even if they might look right in the short term, they're not going to be right in the long term. And so really helping people focus on that. I mean, I always ask my clients like, do you love your children more than you hate your soon-to-be ex? And most people say yes, they love their children more. So with that knowledge and armed with that question, they can start making those decisions with their children's interests really front and center rather than that caught in the middle. You know, the hard part of that, the flip side to that is, and I, and it's funny that you even just said that because I've said that to myself and I've said it to my ex. You know, I love my kids more than I hate you, right? But for the women listening right now, and even the men listening right now, it's easy for us to say that now, right? Because we all, the three of us have been through it and we see the endless possibilities because we're all living it, but we were where most people are now. The response though is often, but he or she doesn't love them more than they hate me. And so I have to fight for myself to protect myself against that. So how do you help your client stay within her or his pocket to not really worry about what the other, their spouse is saying or thinking? I think you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, you only can control you. 
in your reactions, in your mindset. You cannot control the other person. And understanding that and understanding that it is the conflict that damages children. It is not the divorce. It is not living in two homes. It is not, you know, sharing holidays. That is not what harms children. It is the conflict. So if I can get my client to understand how that conflict damages their children and how they can only control their response to things, then it's always going to look better because it, it does take two to tango. You know, that sounds kind of trite, but it really does. And if you can have somebody who can, I mean, I talk all the time about like, you know, harnessing your inner mother, Teresa. I mean, you've got <laughs> to really put your children's needs front and center. And the thing is, by doing that, you are putting your needs front and center because you are going to come through this divorce totally differently than if you have used your children as a pawn in a game. And so I, I really so wholeheartedly want my clients to come through divorce, being able to look themselves in the mirror and know that they always made the decision that put their children interest first. And I mean, from a financial standpoint, you know, that can be really hard because sometimes, you know, and I know you all know, you see it probably every day where people are like, I must keep the family home. You know, like my children can't handle moving out of their rooms. And I'm like, trust me, your children can handle moving out of their rooms if it means you're not going to have money to do what you need to do to support them on the regular, you know, like providing for the things that you want to provide for. I mean, being house poor is not a great place to be for, you know, many people, but getting client and usually it's a mom because they themselves are fairly attached to the home as, you know, it, it brings and has a lot of emotional attachments to it. And I think they project a lot of that on their children as being like, you know, this is the linchpin to their children's success is keeping the home. And I, I feel like we have to have a lot of conversation about that. But that's, you know, where somebody like you all come in really educating them on what does this whole picture look like financially. Right. And a lot of that is allowing them to understand that there is an emotional dollar value to the home. And the reason yep. why it's not necessarily always because the kids, although we hear that as well, you know, I can't move my kids from this home. Mm -hmm. It is because that's how women who are homemakers, and I was a homemaker for years, I, that was my sense of value. I feel like I just provided a beautiful home and that's where my contribution was. And so yep. if you take that away from me, you're taking it all away. And then my kids probably won't value me the same if I don't have that same home. So we go through that exercise when we turn, you know, we turn everything into a financial exercise over here. And part of that exercise is, you know, where else would you live? And how would you make that that home? Because right. that's what they remember, right? The smells of the place and the, the ways in which you mothered them in a home, a beautiful home. So, you know, it, it is sad that we, we've learned to value ourselves based on what we're putting out there materialistic wise. And that usually is the home. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think that as a stay at home mom, is one of the scariest things because I mean, that's your arena. It's kind of like the husband's work, you know, is what he does. And if a stay at home mom, the home is, I mean, her whole masterpiece. It is a very hard 
thing to get over. And I find those are the conversations that take a lot of real understanding and emotional intelligence and helping women to see, to really be making an informed decision. Like, I don't mean to ever tell somebody what they should do versus shouldn't do. You know, they've got to make these decisions, but they have to be informed decisions. And I really like people to understand what is this going to look like financially a year from now, five years from now, 15 years from now? You know, what kind of market do you live in? Is your house going to be constantly increasing? you know, where maybe it makes good sense. Maybe you want to strap yourself a little to keep it so that you can sell it then late. You know, there's so much to think about, but really making sure those decisions are informed and they're not from a place of fear. I mean, I would say that is such a big thing for me is trying to help women make decisions that are 100% empowered, educated, and informed. And from what they want to do. I, I work through the budgets and create their financial affidavits and so forth. And often to your point, I, I gotta keep the house. Okay, let's let's start there. Yeah. And then when they see what what it's gonna take to keep that house, then they're open to other options. And it right. doesn't mean that they don't end up deciding to keep the house, but if they keep the house, they know what it's financially going to mean to them, how much time it's going to take all of that maintenance and repairs that they're not typically accustomed to being a part of or engaged in, you know, and it's really just allowing them to take that journey themselves and then come up uh, with their own solution as they work through that exercise. And that that is very empowering to your point. Oh, it is. And you make such a good point about the home maintenance. I mean, I find that to be such a fascinating exercise to really help people look at the age of their property, what kind of maintenance has been going on, has that come from income or has maybe the husband performed a lot of it? So it's been kind of, you know, they haven't paid market value for that maintenance because that can really add up. (laughs) it, It very much can. And Elise, you had touched on a couple of minutes ago about all of the emotion that plays into the divorce process. And we find often that a lot of people come to us and they're really intent on their spouse's behavior. You know, he did this, she did that. And, you know, the revenge and the bitterness. And how do you respond to that in a way to help them know or parse out how much of someone's behavior really is important or critical, or even game-changing in the divorce process? Well, interestingly, in Washington, you know, we're a no-fault state, so it's truly immaterial, like all the time. I mean, unless their behavior is such that it rises to a level of potential unsafety for the children, I mean, other than that, it's just immaterial. And having those conversations and helping somebody understand how this thing that is literally the thing that they are completely wrapped around the axle about and it keeps them awake at night and it is a level of unjustness that they just can barely get around, the court could care less. That is hard. I mean, that is really hard 
And I mean, I very much encourage our clients to be working with a counselor so that they're not paying me to be a counselor. Like obviously lawyers fees are higher. We don't have health insurance for what we do, you know, but having those really frank conversations with a counselor and learning to be able to move on from that. And I mean, that is part of, in my mind, all the work that goes into being able to have a successful divorce, being able to flip that mindset of that victim kind of mindset from, you know, look what he has done to me to, okay, this happened. How am I going to, you know, move forward? Maybe what boundaries might I need to do next time? You know, what is my part in this, you know, and really be able to turn that mirror on themselves and be able to really, I mean, fundamentally grow through this process because having all that blame, it's never going to be productive, especially moving forward. If there are children involved trying to co-parent, Because, I mean, again, you've got to put on that Mother Teresa hat and that blame, your children don't don't deserve that. Do you know what I mean? They deserve to be able to look to their other parent and figure out their strengths, love them for their strengths, work towards their strengths, and be able to get whatever they can positively from that parent. And I mean, there's a real difference between what a spouse brain feels versus what I call a co-CEO of team child, you know, like there's a big difference. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why do so many attorneys play into that or allow their clients to play into that and say, we're going to go get that person and I'm going to write a letter. Why? My honest opinion is because attorneys can be really greedy and they, I mean, attorneys are the only ones that win in that type of dynamic and their win is financial. Their client is harmed. The children are harmed and the opposing party is harmed. And the money from the family is going to the lawyers. I ask my clients all the time. I'm like, do you want to pay for your own kids private school? Or do you want to pay for my kids to go to private school? This is your choice here. I am so grateful you are saying this. It's prevalent. It is. So many divorces. Now, to be fair, there are states where fault is an issue. And in my mind, I mean, that is beyond the pale of crazy. Like it, it doesn't solve anything. And it just encourages divorces to be in the court system when you have fault as the basis. Families don't belong in court. I mean, court is a win lose model. I mean, when we are really trying to help families, we want to win, win, win. I mean, I want to know what does my my client soon to be X, what is a win for them? What is a win for my client? And what is a win for these children? That's what the goal should be is how do we bring that all to bear? And I mean, it's crazy in my mind, like all other areas of law, like big corporate law, when you deal with massive contracts, they don't run to court all the time. They go to dispute resolution and arbitration and they sit down in summits and they they might sit down for weeks having meetings, discussing things and working things out. Yet in family law, we literally have one dispute and we're like, all right, great, we're going to court. And I'm just right. like, and nobody has the paperwork to support whatever you're trying to demonstrate, right? I mean, show up at a support hearing and nobody's got their tax returns, their pay stubs. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, Brutal. sanity, what happens. Yeah. And I don't, I, I really don't know how family law kind of devolved to this. We just look to the court. I mean, we kind of throw up our hands and look to the court and I am very different. I mean, I, one, I don't throw up my hands. I'm always like, let's, we can figure this out. But I mean, I'm going to do weird things. Like we might go to mediation. We might go to different mediators. We might pull out one tiny issue and get that off the table. You know, I mean, there's a lot of times you can chip away at some of these problems if you can truly chip away at it, like figure out what's the the highest, most pressing pain point. Let's resolve that and agree that everything else is going to just stay status quo for now. Like we're not going to fix everything today. I mean, most marriages don't, you know, devolve into divorce in a day. And we kind of have to be able to build these parents back up where they can relate and be able to co-parent and make good decisions again. I agree. Totally. If only we can get every attorney to feel that way, it would be the best gift we can give this universe. But unfortunately, that's going to be a few years away. (laughs) That's true. It's so true. I mean, radically disrupting how family law is practiced is truly one of my highest goals Because I think that as professionals, we often are just throwing hand grenades into families. Yeah. And yeah, I totally agree. I always say why, you know, we do the MDS financial portrait. And I always say, I say it's Karen probably a thousand times. Why are we paying two attorneys to gather the same information? It's the same data. You're going to have to give it. So when they give it to us, we give it to all the, both parties. Everybody's working off the same documentation. Instead of paying two attorneys, and then you get to do your job, what what you're trained to do. And that's how we're going to radically disrupt what everybody's doing, because it's to the benefit of the family, and the family still gets to keep more money in their pockets. And guess what? We all still get to make money. It's not like we're trying to give up the whole practice here, right? But then everyone's learning how to work on not an emotional basis, and they get to use an attorney like you who understands that. Who, who is a pioneer for that and cheering for that. And then the attorneys on the other side of you are going to be forced to behave like you're behaving. That's like, the goal. I mean, that's that is the goal. That is right? the goal is if I can never stoop to the nonsense of some attorneys and really keep us focused on what matters and not on any kind of nonsensical conflict that they want to stir up. Because I work a lot as a guardian ad litem or a parenting evaluator. So I get appointed in very high conflict cases to come in and, you know, do an investigation and report back to the court about what maybe should custody look like or what does this look like. So I get a real bird's eye view into how many attorneys practice because I'm, you know, investigating and I get to see how the case has gone down from beginning to end. And so much of the time, I'm so struck by attorneys who, when they're sending, I call them nasty grams, when they send all these nasty grams to each other. And I mean, as attorneys, we're supposed to be sharing our communication with our clients. You know, a client should see everything that's happening. So these things are also being sent to the clients. How are we teaching these people how to properly have conflict resolution when we ourselves are acting like inane middle schoolers who just have no sense of emotional intelligence? I mean, and I see all the time where, you know, a person will be getting these things from their attorney that are just, I mean, really poor examples of conflict resolution. And you'll watch that parent 
deteriorate in their abilities to resolve conflict. And I mean, the attorney is like fundamentally harming the family. Oh and, my gosh, you know, we're sending this podcast into a whole nother direction. And I, I, I'm like, I would, I would love to have this conversation even deeper with you, even if we have to go into another podcast. However, we have seen those email communications. And as we speak a few minutes ago, 10 or 15 minutes ago, we're talking, the three of us are talking about how we like to empower our clients and how women have become savvy and they're savvier than anyone even knows. But when they get those email exchanges from their own attorney, whatever knowledge that they have, it disintegrates because yep. what they're not realizing is they're cutting them at the knees and they're, they're kicking somebody when they're down. And they're, the attorney, because I know that Karen and I have read these email exchanges, the attorney all of a sudden is becoming, feeling like they're more powerful when in fact they're not. They're really making this system even worse when they yep. say it's just the process. That is not the process. The process is not set up to tear down your own client. So I'm so glad you're pointing that out because I always say all the time, do they, do these attorneys realize what they're doing? And to hear an attorney here say that you're disgusted by it as well, but we value the attorneys. We value what they need to bring to the process. We believe every divorce needs an attorney. It's at what level and what type of an attorney. So I just hope if you're listening and you're an attorney, you pick up some of Elise's um, strengths here and pioneer yourself in your own city or state or wherever you are and start making this change because that would make me really, really happy. <laughs> Same for me, because at the end of the day, it is a child's mom or dad. And there's nothing that anyone in this world can do that can change that. And in our society, the kids are left holding the bag. And that breaks my heart. When I see this going around, I think, you know what? That's somebody's mom or dad that you're talking to like that. And it's not okay. It's not okay at all. And I mean, we see children with genuine psychological damage because of the conflict that has been brought into their family through the divorce process. And to me, that is abhorrent. It should not be. I mean, I think as professionals, we all have to ask ourselves, like, you know, what is in the best interest of these children? And as an example, when, if I have a client call me and they want to talk about something like maybe they want to file a motion and they want to go fight about, I don't know what, what like a dining table or whatever they want to fight about. I always ask them, have you considered how this decision will impact your co-parenting relationship and your child? And many times the client will say, no, I'm like, well, then we're hanging up because I'm not having this conversation until you've thought about that. And once you've thought about that, call me back and then we'll talk about it. Because if you're not asking yourself that every single decision you're making, you're not doing right by your children at all in the divorce process. And so many lawyers have zero client control and they just see dollar signs. They're like, oh, great, we'll file a motion. That'll be another five or seven thousand dollars in my pocket doing this. And I'm like, no, like go to the store and buy yourself another damn dining room table. Like I assure right. you, you can get yourself a fine table for less than you're going to pay in legal fees over this. Absolutely. And if you know what you have, and if you know what that means to you, and you know what your options are, that question is easy to answer every single time. Absolutely. It's a no brainer. This exactly. is an amazing conversation. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on our podcast today. Elise, how can our listeners and viewers learn more about you and your work? Well, I mean, they could go to our website, Elise Bowie Family Law. And I mean, you probably can put that in the comments, you know, because people always have a hard time spelling. It's a lot of vowels. And I also do a Parenting Bowie podcast, which is a lot of parenting help and just tips on, you know, various things. And I interview a lot of experts and that's been fun. And I've also started doing some work around fair play, which we can talk about another time, but it is an amazing book and card game that I think can be really helpful. And so maybe we can link that in the comments as well, because I do think it really can help people as they're navigating this split and moving into two home parenting. I love that. And I love how your website says, and I'm sure that you and all of your staff do, you help people focus on solutions instead of the ever-present obstacles. So we commend you for that. Yeah, well, thank It's definitely interesting work for sure. <laughs> but I mean, I always try to have the children and what is in the forefront of what we're doing is really helping people think about that. And I just think empowering and educating, that's why your work just makes me so happy because the things that you all do to educate and empower clients, so they're making those informed decisions. I mean, it's just, it's game changing to not be operating out of fear and the unknown. Thank, Thank you for that. Thank you. So this concludes our episode on how stay-at-home moms can prepare for divorce with attorney Elise Bowie. Thank you so much, Elise, for a great conversation. Yeah, thanks. Y'all have a great rest of your day. By the time my divorce was over, I was actually in a better place financially than I had ever been in my life. That's a quote from a former My Divorce Solution client, Sarah, a divorced mom of three. We know the thought of divorce can leave you feeling scared, angry, and overwhelmed at the unknown path ahead. The first step to feeling in control of your future is to get a roadmap for the divorce journey. That's why we create a financial portrait for each client, a roadmap for decision-making and negotiation strategy, giving you the foundation to achieve the best possible divorce outcome. If you are looking for financial clarity, head to our website at MyDivorceSolution.com to get more information on how the financial portrait can bring greater confidence and less stress to your divorce journey. Thanks for joining us for another episode of WeChat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you are looking for more support and guidance for navigating the divorce process with confidence and clarity, head over to our website at mydivorcesolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and tools for your journey ahead. We'll see you back here for our next episode.